the ability to optimize your situation and not wait for things because we didn't have a support system when we were here. All of my father's brothers and sisters were either in the Philippines or lived in a different part of the country at the time. For us to survive, it was seeking opportunities and not waiting for things to happen. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Vivian Young, Global Head of Asian and Pacific Islander Affairs for JPMorgan Chase. Since launching the office, she's built an organization to support and propel the Asian and Pacific Islander community forward. I enjoyed hearing the story of her family immigrating to the United States and the way her children are embracing their heritage. I'm grateful to work closely with Vivian and proud of what we're doing together to support entrepreneurs in the API community. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Vivian, welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. It's so great to have you on with us. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here with you today. What's really nice is that we're doing this from our office in person, which is a nice post-COVID change. Absolutely. So I'd love to have everyone hear from you about your role as head of the Office of Asian and Pacific Islanders Affairs. Tell us what the job is and what do you do? I am the latest center of excellence to join the diversity, equity, and inclusion organization here at J.P. Morgan Chase. And as the global head of Asian and Pacific Islander Affairs, my mission is to drive opportunity and progress for Asian and Pacific Islander communities globally through advancement and economic inclusion. Tell us about some of your priorities, because, of course, the Asian and Pacific Islander communities, plural, are very wide and dispersed. So how do you take a look at the things that you want to do for so many different subsegments? I would say the priority is really bringing a cultural lens to the community. As you said, here in the United States, the Asian and Pacific Islander community is almost 24 million people that comprise over 30 different ethnicities and speak over 100 different languages. So I think it's really important for us to bring in that cultural dimension because we are not a monolith. And honestly, the term Asian American as a roll-up brings us together as a group, but what that does is it makes us invisible in that there's no representation for each of us. And then how do you think about your work globally? My work globally, again, is bringing that cultural lens. The term Asian American is really a Western term. If we were sitting in Japan or the Philippines or India, where we all have offices, we wouldn't be calling ourselves Asian at that point. So I think it's also bringing that cultural dimension within the regions to have an understanding of what the experience is for each of the communities within the regions that we operate. So you mentioned you are one of the seven what we call centers of excellence here at J.P. Morgan when it comes to our diversity teams. Women on the Move is one of them. Your team was one of the new teams that was recently established. So tell us about how it came to be, why it was so important for the company to also have a team dedicated to this community. I think it's critically important if we think about our global community and where growth is going to come from. So Asia comprises almost half of the people within the globe. Again, within the United States, we are almost 8% of the population, and those numbers are growing. In the U.S. alone, 
by 2060, we're projected to double in size from about 24 million to almost 46 million. Having an emphasis or focus on this client segment is really a business imperative as a global organization to make sure that we are attracting the people, addressing the needs of our employees, our clients, and our communities globally is a business imperative. When you think about the strategic areas that you have, and we share so many of them, we work together on things like business growth and entrepreneurship, on financial health, career growth. What is important to you from what your community actually needs among some of those areas? What are the few things you want to get done? The one thing that I think is critically important, particularly here in the United States, is addressing the model minority myth in that everybody is doing well, because we're not. As an aggregate, when we roll up all of the information, our numbers look fantastic. We have the highest household income of any racial group. But when you take apart the numbers, what you see is that Asian households are larger than normal. So if you have a household of four with $100,000, you look at the Asian community and sometimes it's eight people or 10 people in a household. So when you start peeling those layers of the onions, they're not doing as well as we think on the surface. Part of it is really illuminating that not everybody is doing well. So within the community itself, you're saying that that disparity exists. Yes. So I think the origin story of how and when you came to this country is also critically important. Because if you came here as a refugee, or you came here through chain migration, as I did, or you came here through a student visa or an employment sponsorship, all of your outcomes are different based on when and how you came here. You and I were looking at some research the other day that was talking about representation just in general in the workforce. And while Asian representation might be on par with the population, the representation at senior leaders is really not there and you see the drop off. Tell us about how you're looking at those kinds of trends and what you would like to do about it. Similar to what we are doing with Women on the Move is really looking at that pipeline and what that employee experiences from beginning to end and where the drop off happens and why. There are different dimensions, could be life changes, could be other opportunities. I think what we're also seeing as a trend within the Asian community is that people are deciding to create their own table. They're not staying with a corporate structure and saying, I'm going to go out on my own and take the risk and create my own company and be my own CEO. So I think there are lots of dimensions that we can look at, but really getting under the covers to see what is driving people from either not continuing their career here at J.P. Morgan, what are they pursuing out? Outside. So let's talk about your own journey, your own career journey. Tell us about everything that you've done in your career up to now, because you've had a very different career. You didn't start out in diversity. That's right. In fact, my entire career has been spent in financial services. And I would say the genesis of that is really my immigrant story. I'm one of the two and a half million people that immigrated to this country between 1970 and 1980. And even though my father and mother had taught me the importance of savings, which is critical to a lot of immigrant families, we weren't great investors. So I felt like I needed to understand what that meant to invest, not only to save my money, but to invest it wisely. And at the time, one of the things that I was interested in was pursuing the Certified Financial Planner certification. And back then, this is 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of women or diverse people that pursued the certification. 
that was something that I wanted to do to educate myself in terms of what it meant to invest, to plan, to save. And that's where my journey really began was getting the certification, working at several financial institution firms and leaning into my knowledge and helping others with their planning around their estates as well as creating financial stability. It sounds like a very personal mission that you really took into your career. Yes. And even though the CFP certification has expanded over time, there's still a lack of diversity within the industry. One thing that I would love to see is not only an increase in women pursuing their CFP certification, but getting more diversity so that we can have people that look like us that serve people that look like us. As you were going through this and pursuing this career, what were the challenges you faced? I think not only as a diverse person, but as a woman, and I'm sure that you can commiserate with this too, Sam, 15, 20 years ago in financial services, there just weren't a lot of women in the field. And at the time, it was extremely competitive And we didn't have the collaboration and partnership that we have today. A lot of the women leaders that I saw pulled the ladder up behind them as they climbed. Versus today, we are really making an intentional effort to bring people along with us. So a lot of my mentors and sponsors happened to be men at the time. And I spent a lot of time observing them understanding their language, their body language, how they appeared and showed up at meetings. Over the years, I realized that I didn't need to act like them in order to succeed and really just settling into my own self and becoming the person that I am today. I think about that, too, because I think I felt the same way starting my career and really trying to fit into what was definitely more of a man's world at the time. Do you think things have really changed or do you think you just got more comfortable with things as you progressed and became more senior? I think it's a combination of the two. Thank goodness we have seen an increase not only in women leadership, but women participating in the workforce. So I think it's a combination of the two. And going back to us as women supporting one another. I think is so critically important because we just didn't have those support systems back then. And making that intentional effort to bring those along the journey with us as we climb. And so now, given that we are in a different environment, what advice would you give to younger people who don't feel themselves fully represented yet in their chosen industries? I would say take a risk. That's one of my regrets. If I were able to do a redo, I would say take a risk. Don't make sure that you check off all the boxes before you apply or move forward. Taking risks is so important and also asking for help. The one thing that I've learned over time is that people are not mind readers. So what you think they think is not exactly happening and to ask for help because you'll be so surprised that when you put that ask out there, that people will come and help you. Let's talk about your journey to the United States. I'd love to hear about this. It's such a personal one for you and your family. After the Civil Rights Act, it was finally opened up where Asian immigrants could come to this country, either through a professional designation or through family reunification. So if you talk to Asian Americans, many of their stories begin post-1965, much like myself. So my uncle came here first. He joined the Navy and was an engineer and worked on a nuclear submarine. And then he sponsored my father, who was an accountant. 
And he came over and got a job. And then a year or two later, he was able to sponsor my mother and myself to come to the country. And our immigrant journey begins in Brooklyn, New York, where we had an apartment in Canarsie. And then we moved on to Long Island, where my parents raised myself and my sister, working class neighborhood, one of three Asian families in the entire town. And then once my sister and I graduated from college, we moved into New York City and my parents retired to Florida. So what was that like growing up without seeing a lot of families like yours? It was challenging for sure, but I would say my parents really wanted us to be integrated and American. They had come to this country in order for opportunities. And what they had seen in us was the chance to do the things that they were not able to do in their home country. So one of the things I would say we learned was the ability to optimize your situation and not wait for things because we didn't have a support system when we were here. All of my father's brothers and sisters were either in the Philippines or lived in a different part of the country at the time. For us to survive, it was seeking opportunities and not waiting for things to happen. So your father came here first before your mother and you joined. Did he ever tell you about that time when he was waiting for you to join him and he wasn't yet with his family? He did not. My mother did share letters that he wrote to her as we were waiting to come to the country. I actually carry a picture of my mother and I coming to the United States. It's on my iPhone and I treasure that. I keep that with me as a reminder of what my parents gave to me and how I need to pay it forward for others. I think that's beautiful. Thank you for that. I can only imagine being apart and then being reunited and how special that was. So when you think about yourself as that young child coming here, what you know now and how it worked out for you, what would you tell that little girl? I would say embrace your differences. And I say this a lot to other people that feel like they're the only in the room, because if you're the only in the room, it means that you are rare and you should embrace that difference. Diamonds are rare. Think of yourself as the diamond in the room and own that. People don't invite you into spaces where you don't belong. So I think that is so critically important that when you are the only in the room that you represent yourself and your culture and have that pride because you are a diamond. I feel very emotional thinking of this story with you and your family. So thank you so much for telling us this. And I hope, and it sounds like you really had people along the way that helped you. So can you tell us about those people, the mentors, the leaders who helped you either early in your career or even before you started out professionally? I am so grateful to the people that took the time to pull me aside, recognizing that I'm an immigrant to the country. My parents didn't know how the cor corporate culture worked or what it meant to take up space during a meeting. Even though they gave me the tools to succeed and seek opportunities and gave me the education, it's those unspoken rules within corporate culture that I wasn't able to get from my parents. So having female partners, leaders, sponsors to tell me how to dress, how to appear, how to engage in dialogue 
working with high net worth individuals that I maybe had never had access to before. I'm so grateful to all of them that have helped me along the way. And that's why I say feedback is a gift. If someone is willing to pull you aside and tell you something, listen to that because they're trying to coach you to make you better, not to tear you down. We're all so busy that if someone takes a minute to say, hey, I think you can do better, pay attention. That's something that you really need to lean into. Can you think of a time where someone did that for you and it really made a difference, whether it was a large or small item? I would say the one thing that stuck with me is walking into rooms in terms of meetings and taking up space, like physically taking up space. If you observe other women or diverse women in a room as you're entering a meeting and you notice that they start to shrink, that they put the paper in front of them, that they physically get smaller, take them aside and tell them to take up space and own their space within a meeting because I think that has such a dynamic effect in terms of your psyche, like physically taking up the space that you deserve at a table gives you the confidence to then speak up during the meeting and present your point of view. So I think that that is the most important thing that someone taught me along the way. That is great. Thank you. I'll think about that. When you think about leadership, what are the characteristics now that you look for in a good leader or that you try to emulate? I would say two things. Honesty and integrity are the most important. Everything else can be learned along the way. But if you don't have an honest leader or that leads with integrity, everything falls by the wayside. And I would say early on in the securities industry, there was a lot of things that were done that were not on the up and up. And seeing leaders engage in activities that didn't align to my values, that's not a place that I ever wanted to be. Throughout my career, I always looked and appreciated leaders that led with honesty and integrity. So Vivian, we are getting to work on a really special program together to really support women entrepreneurs. We're working with Techstars, our partner externally, and putting a cohort of entrepreneurs through Techstars Great Boot Camps. And we're so thrilled to be able to offer this to women, of course, but also to women in your community. Tell us why this is important to you, why this was so interesting. I think this is so amazing, not only to support you and your efforts around uplifting women, but I was looking at the statistics the other day, less than 1.9% of venture capital dollars went to women in 2022. And you can imagine that when you look at that number going to diverse women, it's probably even less. So I think it's so important what you're doing in terms of growing the pie so that each of us can get a larger slice. This isn't a zero sum game. And what I'm so excited about in terms of this cohort, that it's our first anywhere cohort, meaning that we're able to reach founders in places where we normally wouldn't be able to get them. And in just looking at the applicants from South Dakota, from Hawaii, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, these are just places that we don't normally go. So I am thrilled to be able to attract people that are interested in the program from places that we don't normally reach. Vivian, you launched this team a year ago, but of course this was happening all post the pandemic, which was a very challenging time for this community. Tell us about some of the challenges you've felt recently over the last few years. The biggest challenge that impacted the community here in the United States 
during the pandemic was attributing the virus to China. And that just expanding to the Asian American audience in that you couldn't hide your Asian face. And people saw that as a way to scapegoat or blame others for what was happening globally. My mother, myself, and my sister have all been subjects of harassment in some way. So this is something that impacted me personally in that I can't hide my Asian face. I'm not doing anything to anybody. I'm not the cause of the virus. But someone shouting expletives at me or saying white power was hurtful. And if you think that that can happen to somebody like myself that works at J.P. Morgan as the global head of Asian and Pacific Islander affairs, you can imagine that this is systemic and impacting people at any walk of life. Do you think the conversations that we've had in general in the workplace have helped to bridge some of these understandings and make it better? I think so. So for the Asian community, we normally don't talk about feelings or what is happening to us. We kind of just keep our head up and keep moving forward. So I think for many employees here, it was critically important to be able to have a safe space to have those conversations and share each other's feelings, to let them know not only that they are visible, that we see them, but that they're not alone and we stand in solidarity. So many people here at J.P. Morgan Chase had offered to walk people to the subway. It was amazing in terms of allies coming together to support each other as a community and let people know that they were here and that they stood with them during these challenging times. You talked before about the Asian community maybe stepping out of the corporate sector to do things their own way. And of course, entrepreneurship really comes to mind in terms of that path. Why do you think entrepreneurship is so attractive, really, for this community? I think it's part of the immigrant story. So many people came to this country and were not able to have the jobs that they had in their home country and needed to provide some way of income for their families. So many people went and opened up their own businesses in order to support their families financially. And I also think it's part of that immigrant hustle in that you had to figure it out yourself. You couldn't wait for someone to tell you or give you something. And starting your own business was a way to start making money. Do you see younger generations wanting to continue in that? The first wave of immigrants came here to pursue a better life, and many of them had invested their entire life savings into their children and educating them so that they purposefully could not go back into the business. They didn't want them to work as hard in terms of a labor or service industry. They wanted the professional jobs, the typical lawyer, doctor, engineer. So those grandchildren now really have a lot to learn or can hopefully tap their grandparents at other generation to give them advice. Absolutely. Do you think it's different in terms of either the businesses that they're looking to get into, whether it's more technology focused, things that just weren't around two generations ago? You know what's so interesting in terms of the immigrant story is that many of us came here and we just wanted to become part of the American fabric. And we kind of lost a piece of our culture because of that. We wanted to just 
be American. And what I'm seeing now, and I see this within my own children, is that they are embracing their cultural and their heritage. So many of these business owners are leaning into their culture either through food and beverage or beauty or whatever problem that they're trying to solve for their particular community. And it's coming through in the way they are becoming their own business owners is either celebrating their culture or addressing an issue that is faced by people within their community. I certainly hope women are really helping to drive that change. It's a beautiful thought to imagine them creating something for themselves, creating the wealth, but also bringing back that cultural piece that would benefit society at large. Absolutely. And it's not about hiding your culture. It's about celebrating it, which I think is so fantastic. So I'm curious, what do you teach your children at home in terms of that culture, but also trying to weave that into their American upbringing? So my children are multicultural in that my husband is Polish and Lithuanian. So my children are Filipino, Chinese, Polish, and Lithuanian, and they celebrate all four equally. And the benefit of living in New York City is that you're exposed to all of these cultures. So here's an example. When I was a child and I had friends over, I would tell my mother, don't make those egg rolls. It smells. That's such a weird garlicky smell. And nobody understands that here. We just want to eat spaghetti and be like everybody else. Now in my children, when we go to a place and they smell food, they have this level of intellectual curiosity and they say, that is wonderful. That smells amazing. Tell me what that is. So I think, again, it's come full circle in where I just wanted to integrate and have my head down where my children are really embracing their cultural heritage. Isn't that incredible? It can go in one generation from a source of embarrassment and you want to put it away versus what you're describing, this beautiful curiosity. It's amazing. That's why I'm so optimistic about culture and where we're headed in terms of community and society in general. So let's turn our conversation to a topic that we're asking our guests a lot about this season, which is ambition. And so my question to you is, do you consider yourself ambitious? And what does ambition mean to you? I wouldn't consider myself ambitious. I would see myself as more opportunistic in finding, listening, and pursuing things that I think align to my values and my vision and being, again, more opportunistic than ambitious. And maybe the opportunistic turns into ambition over time. But for me, it's really being the opportunistic in seeking those things that align to my vision and values. And when you seek those things or obtain them, so for example, this role, which didn't even exist before you took this on and launched it, within this job, would you say you have ambitions for what it could be, what the team could be, what your mission is? Absolutely. I have ambitions in changing how we interact with our Asian Pacific Islander communities globally through the lens of our employees, our clients, and our communities. It's so interesting to hear just these echoes of a personal mission come through you in so many different ways, but also really be pulled into your career. What would you say to listeners who also like you may not say I'm ambitious, but there's definitely things that they want to do. And there's definitely those opportunities that they want to make for themselves. I would say go for it. Again, take a risk. If there's something that you want to pursue, the only thing that's stopping you is yourself. 
May is Asian Heritage Month, and that is a nice time for everyone to come together and I think do what you're saying, really mark a community solidarity, but acknowledge there's more work to be done. What do you hope we do this year with that time? And obviously beyond that time even as well. Well, this year, I would love to see a showcase Asian excellence. I think that is so important. Words are important. Visibility is important. And for us as a global firm to showcase excellence across the globe is going to be an amazing celebration that all of us can partake in. How can our listeners be strong advocates in general for the Asian and Pacific Islander communities? Being culturally aware and competent is critically important. I think just to have a global perspective and reflect and acknowledge our cultural differences and having respect for one another. At the end of the day, what all of us want is just to have a dignified life. And part of that is recognizing, acknowledging, and seeing others for who they are. Vivian, it's such a pleasure to speak with you and really to work with you on a daily basis. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being just a great partner. Oh, this was fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Vivian. Her advice for people to see their difference as a strength and take up space in a room is powerful. Recognizing the origin stories of our peers in the Asian and Pacific Islander community is important and will help us all be better allies. I hope you will celebrate Asian excellence during Asian Heritage Month and help raise the voice of that community. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash W-O-T-M. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.